the podcast from Belmont Chapel in Exeter, sharing the story, living the life. For more information, go to belmontchapel.org.uk. Well, good evening and welcome to week four of our series, Let Justice Roll, Studies in the Book of Amos. Well, I wonder how you would answer the following question. What does a successful life look like? Back when I regularly led school assemblies and chapel services, one talk I gave every few years was on the theme of success. I would ask the students to decide whether my sister or I uh, was more successful. I would compare and contrast aspects of our lives, including areas associated with our work. At the time, I was the head of a school department. I was responsible for one other colleague. My sister was senior vice president, Global Medical, at the third biggest pharmaceutical company in the US. She was responsible for the performance of over 6,500 people scattered around the world. I had a budget of a couple of thousand pounds a year. Her budget was well over 3,000 times mine. Part of her role was to give away $6 million to good causes every year. I had a very good salary but my sister earned four times my annual salary every month. Now in my assembly, I was trying to get the students to think about what criteria they used to judge success. Did they use how much power, control one has over others? How much money is in the bank account? The quantity and quality of material possessions? Or was there a different criteria? So I wonder what criteria would you select to judge whether your life or my life is a success? Today, in our Bible text, Amos uses a very carefully crafted lament to answer this question. So as I read chapter 5 verses 1 through to 17, try and notice the pattern or shape to Amos's lament. So chapter 5, starting at verse 1. Hear this word, Israel, this lament I take up concerning you. Fallen is virgin Israel, never to rise again, deserted in her own land, with no one to lift her up. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to Israel. Your city that marches out a thousand strong will have only a hundred left. Your town that marches out a hundred strong will have only ten left. This is what the Lord says to Israel. Seek me and live. Do not seek Bethel, do not go to Gilgal, do not journey to Beersheba, for Gilgal will surely go into exile, and Bethel will be reduced to nothing. Seek the Lord and live, or he will sweep through the tribes of Joseph like a fire. It will devour them, and Bethel will have no one to quench it. There are those who turn justice into bitterness and cast righteousness to the ground. He who made Pleiades and Orion, who turns midnight into dawn and darkens day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out over the face of the land, the Lord is his name. With a blinding flash he destroys the stronghold and brings the fortified city to ruin. There are those who hate the one who upholds justice in court and detest the one who tells the truth. They levy a straw tax on the poor and impose a tax on their grain. Therefore, though you have built stone mansions, you will not live in them. Though you have planted lush vineyards, you will not drink their wine. For I know how many are your offences and how great your sins. 
There are those who oppress the innocent and take bribes and deprive the poor of justice in the courts. Therefore, the prudent keep quiet in such times, for the times are evil. Seek good and not evil, that you may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you, just as you say he is. Hate evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts. Perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God Almighty says. There will be wailing in all the streets and cries of anguish in every public square. The farmers will be summoned to weep and the mourners to wail. They'll be wailing in all the vineyards as I pass through your midst, says the Lord. Did you spot the pattern? Amos uses a symmetrical pattern which leads up to and away from a central focus point in this passage. For the Bible nerds amongst you, this is called a chiastic structure. And here is my summary diagram of the lament. Mourning over what will happen to Israel, verses 2 to 3. The call to seek God and live, verses 4 and 6. Injustice in Israel, 5 through to 7. God is Lord, 8 and 9. Injustice in Israel, 10, 13. The call to seek good and live, 14 and 15. Mourning over what will happen to Israel, 16 and 17. In our passage tonight, we will firstly explore how Amos challenges the Israelite belief that they were living successful lives using verses 1 through to 9. And then secondly, we're going to reflect on what a successful life really looks like using verses 10 through to 17. So let's begin with the first section, the unsuccessful life. Well, back in week two, Megan explained how the foreign nations mentioned in Amos chapter one had exhausted themselves through military conflict. Israel exploited this political vacuum by expanding their territory. And so, as a direct result, money flowed into the country from all the new trade routes and the safe travel that um, traders and other people were willing to make. And here, in chapter 5, verse 14, there's a suggestion that the Israelites believed that they were living successful lives. Why? Because clearly they thought God was with them. They believed that their material prosperity was a blessing from God. They believed that God approved of what they were doing. But Amos tells them in verses 2 and 3 that all their material success will come to an end. Death and destruction are coming. Life and growth are ending. Listen to the words again. Fallen is virgin Israel, never to rise again, deserted in her own land, with no one to lift her up. You see, Amos foretells that Israel will become powerless, her cities shadows of their former selves. In the past, Israel conquered other nations, but now her army will be destroyed, leaving her open to being conquered herself. Your city that marches out, a thousand strong, will have only a hundred left. Your town that marches out a hundred strong will have only ten left. Well, I wonder how the Israelites responded to these opening lines of the lament. I wonder, did they heckle Amos? Did they protest? Did they demand to know why God would allow this to happen to his chosen people? After all, 
Surely he was blessing them with all this wealth. Well, verse 4 goes on to tell the Israelites why they're not living successful lives. This is what it says. This is what the Lord says to Israel. Seek me and live. Now, I can just imagine the Israelites calling out, but we have been. Because the Israelites had built temples and followed the annual cycle of festivals. They made sacrifices to God and went on religious pilgrimages. But Amos is telling them that something is clearly wrong with their behaviour. See verse 5, for example. Do not seek Bethel. Do not go to Gilgal. Do not journey to Beersheba. And these three sites lay at the heart of Israelite worship of God. But God rejects what is happening there. And there'll be more of this next week with Megan expanding from chapter, uh, Amos chapter 5 from verses 18 onwards. Verse 6 repeats why the Israelites are not successful, why they're facing judgment and death. Um, they are not seeking the Lord. I wonder how the Israelites responded to this message of doom from Amos. While there may have been many angry voices, many people disagreeing with this message, I can imagine that at least some of the Israelites throwing up their hands in the air and asking, so how do we seek the Lord? We want to live, not die. Why has God turned away from us? Amos begins to give an answer in verse 7. He declares their treatment of their fellow Israelites lies at the heart of the problem. Seeking God and mistreating your fellow Israelites is simply not compatible. As verse 7 warns us, there are those who turn justice into bitterness and cast righteousness to the ground. And with that accusation of poor and bad behaviour by the Israelites, we arrive at the heart of Amos's message. Verses 8 to 9 are the hinge of his speech. Everything leads up and away from these two verses. So let me read them. He who made the Pleiades and Orion, who turns midnight into dawn and darkens day into night, who calls for the water of the sea and pours them out over the face of the land, the Lord is his name. With a blinding flash, he destroys the stronghold and brings the fortified city to ruin. Well, in verse 8, we begin to see parallels to the creation account in Genesis 1 and Psalm 8. And in the ancient world, these two star clusters were believed to control the seasons. And so the annual rhythm of life and death, the agricultural cycle, the cycle that brought wealth, fertility, money, esteem. If God created these stars, he alone is revealed as sovereign as ruler of the universe. And the phrase, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out over the face of the land, the Lord is his name, may also be referring to the flood narrative in Genesis. God saves Noah and his family whilst those who've turned their backs on God die. The pattern of life and death again. Verse 9 tells the people that God is far more powerful than anything humans can do. No one can stand against God if he chooses to act. The strongest man-made city, the strongest man-made defences, simply cannot stand against God, the all-powerful. As it says, 
With a blinding flash, he destroys the stronghold and brings the fortified city to ruin. In verses 8 and 9 here, Amos declares God to be the king, the ruler, the sovereign over all creation. Therefore, it is God and only God who has the authority to set the standards or values which guide how people are to behave, to define what a successful life looks like. Amos tells the Israelites that are listening to his message that judgment is coming because they failed to seek God by failing to live up to his standards and values. Through this lament, Amos warns them that although they may think God is walking with them, in reality, God is walking away from them. Whilst the Israelites assumed their nation was a success, that their growing material prosperity was a sign of God's blessing. For them, wealth, prosperity equaled God's blessing. Poverty, suffering equals God's judgment. Amos tells them that material prosperity is not automatically a sign that they're walking with God. Now Gemma spoke on this theme a couple of Sunday mornings ago when she talked about Jesus healing the man born blind. The people at the time assumed that either the man or his parents had sinned. But Jesus clearly rejected that line of thinking. So what about the people of God living in the 21st century? What about you and me? Amos's lament reminds us that we should not measure our success in life through our own material prosperity. Having wealth is not a measure of how close to or how faithful to God we are. Now the culture we live amongst has historically measured success by one's material prosperity as well. Owning a particular brand, whether it be car, shoes, computer, size of house, they all set you apart from others, showing you to be successful perhaps, as opposed to those who are unsuccessful. They help you stand out. But we must be careful not to simply use non-Christian values to measure our own success. We need to turn back to God and use God's values, God's scales to judge. We may all be tempted by the lifestyle which having material wealth and money allows us to live. Having money certainly gives us more choices in life, but perhaps with mon more money comes more temptation. Listen to 1 Timothy 6 verses 9 and 10. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And it seems that this is part of the problem with the Israelites. Verse 7 hints that the way the Israelites gained their material prosperity was the reason that their lives were unsuccessful rather than successful. This was the reason why God was walking away from them and not walking with them. The reason why God's going to judge them, not bless them. That's verses 1 through to 9. Now let's consider verses 10 through to 17. I think the second half of this passage helps us to understand how to live successful lives as the people of God. We have to read around the text. It's not totally explicit, but I think it's there for us to use. 
We've heard tonight in verse 4 that God called on his chosen people to seek God and live. But what does it actually mean to seek God? While the first movement of this lament tells the Israelites they have wandered away, I believe the second movement reveals what success looks like and offers hope to a nation which has gone wrong. I wonder if you'll agree with my interpretation. Well, verses 10 through to 13 unpack the injustice mentioned in verse 7. These verses describe what the wealthy and powerful were up to in much more detail. They explain how the wealthy and the powerful had achieved their material gain. With verse 12 offering a really helpful summary. For I know how many are your offences and how great your sins. There are those who oppress the innocent and take bribes and deprive the poor of justice in the courts. The Israelites here are told how they have gained their wealth is just simply wrong. It's a sin. Amos tells the Israelites how the poor and powerless are treated is an indicator about whether a society is successful following God's values. Given the structure of our passage tonight, we would expect Amos to give the same solution to these offences as he did previously in verses 4 and 6. Seek God and live. Seek the Lord and live. But look at what Amos actually says here in verses 14 and 15. Seek good, not evil. Hate evil, love good. The Israelites are told to seek good that they might live, to love good. Amos seems to be linking seeking God and seeking good. Amos tells them that a successful life involves seeking God and seeking to treat the poor and innocent justly. Does this re not remind you of anything you heard from Nick both in the first week of this series and last week? This is what Nick said last week in his talk. Jesus, when once asked to distill right living into a few sentences, offered this reply, recorded in Mark 12. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbour as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And Nick continued, right living, says Jesus, is the pursuit of God and the pursuit of good. Well, having heard Amos's lament tonight, let me ask you a question. Can we love God without loving our neighbours? Or to use the language of Amos 5, should we seek God without seeking the good of the poor and the innocent? Can we separate these two actions and focus only on the first? Look at Amos 5 verse 14 again. Seek good, not evil, that you may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you. Amos seems to be telling the people that if they seek the good of the poor and innocent, then God will draw near. As they treat people properly, they will definitely have God walking with them. So perhaps a successful life involves seeking God by seeking good. 
We demonstrate our love of God through loving our neighbours. Now, reading how Amos talks about seeking God and seeking good reminded me of the book of James in the New Testament, especially James chapter 2, verses 14 through to 18. Let me read them for you now. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Now Moses seems to be telling the Israelites that they're facing death, since they're not seeking good. Judgment is coming. Did you notice also in verse 15, not only repeats the theme of verse 14, just like verse 6 repeats verse 4, it adds something very important. Perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. We started chapter 5 with Amos lamenting about the coming of God's judgment. Due to their poor behaviour, their failure to seek God in the right way, God would not bless the nation of Israel but judge it. God offers a glimmer of hope for those who are willing to respond to Amos' message here in verse 15. The end is perhaps not yet fully fixed. Amos seems to be suggesting that at least some of the Israelites may be saved. Those who respond to God's rebuke of their behaviour, those who repent of their sinful and evil behaviour, may survive the coming judgment. But Amos is also clear that those who do not respond will certainly perish. Justice is coming, as verses 16 and 17 say. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God Almighty, says. There will be a wailing in all the streets and cries of anguish in every public square. The farmers will be summoned to weep and the mourners to wail. There will be wailing in all the vineyards, for I will pass through your midst, says the Lord. So tonight we have explored Amos' lament for the people of God, a people who thought that they were living successful lives, but who were not living out God's values and standards, a people who thought they were seeking God, but who were certainly not seeking God, according to Amos, a people who saw their material prosperity as a sign of their success, but the way they gained their prosperity was a sign of their failure. So what can you... What can I take from Amos into a new week? I wonder what has challenged you or what has encouraged you this evening. I started tonight asking you the question, what does a successful life look like? I wonder if Amos's lament has confirmed the answer you gave at the start or challenged it. May I encourage you to spend some time this week perhaps thinking through your own attitude to money and material possessions and how your attitude has impacted your assessment of whether you are a success or not. Now you may wish to reflect on how you gained your wealth or how you use it. You could explore whether it's possible to seek God without seeking good. Can you love God without loving your neighbour? And finally, I wonder which values guided how you chose to vote this week, if you had an opportunity to vote in our, vote in our local elections. 
How did you decide which candidate to vote for? What was your criteria? Were you seeking God and seeking the good in the choices you made? Because there's certainly going to be big elections coming up in the next 18 to 24 months. So let me end with a prayer. Lord, help us to always be open to the guidance of your spirit. Give us the sensitivity to hear your voice, whether it is challenging us or comforting us as we walk with you through life. Thank you that you are a loving, merciful, patient and forgiving God. Amen.